Here a month ago, I started a little series on holiness called Holy Ground, and we're going to continue with that, and I'll try to bring you a little bit up to date with uh, what we talked about last time. But our text we're going to look at uh, this evening is from 2 Peter, uh, starting with verse 1, and then we have a little uh, slide presentation that I started last time to just try to drive some of the points home. A uh, little PowerPoint, but we'll get to that in about 10 minutes. But let's just look at God's Word right now in 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, somewhere in that first verse is you and I. Somewhere in there, we fall. The word bondservant is simply a slave that after a period of time, he was set free. But he loved his master so much that he wanted to stay a slave to his owner. And he became a bondservant. It was a free will that he was able to uh, stay and work for this family, this man that he, that he loved. Well, notice Peter here is calling himself a bondservant. He's a slave to Jesus Christ, but he found out by being a slave to Jesus, he became more than that. He was an adopted son. God was his father. And that's what you and I are. We're not slaves to Christ. We're not servants to Christ. We're sons and daughters of the creator of the universe. And how much do we really understand that? And how would that change our lives if we really understood that we are sons and daughters of the king? That's fantastic. And I only get glimpses of it now and then. I want to see, I want to know more and more of that. Because if you realize that your father owned the universe, how does that make you feel? I mean, we see how the world acts when their father owns GM or is a president of the United States or a president of some company or uh, a son of a famous movie star or a sport figure. But our God, our Father, is the God of all creation. And he picked you out and me out to be his sons and daughters. That's pretty fantastic. And Peter was an apostle. Apostle, he's one that was sent. He's one that has a mission. How many of us in here tonight have a mission for Jesus? I see a couple hands. Okay, that's cool. That's cool. <laughs> I don't know if you're waving or you're agreeing. Okay. But um, we need to have a mission. Last time we talked about uh, like a locker room. As a lot of you know, I'm a coach and a teacher. But I want to exhort you tonight. I want to pump you up. To understand that you have a mission, and it's a great mission. We've already won the game, but there's individual battles that we're going to face where other people who don't yet know Jesus as Lord and Savior can enter in to that family of God that you and I are in. And that's the excitement of being a believer in Jesus Christ. And Peter was one of those, just like you and me, that want to serve the Lord. 
that want to live all the days of our life for him. Verse 2, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of, our, of Jesus our Lord. Anytime you and I come together, regardless of who is teaching from up here, it's only through the grace and mercy and, the, and everything that God gives us that we would grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. It only comes because it's God's will that we are here, that we're opening up his word, and it's a supernatural word that he wants to change you from the inside out. And I think a lot of us know that, and we just want more and more and more of him because we know what happens when we just submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And this is not something you have to do to come here on Wednesday or come here on Sunday. This is something we get to do. And as a result of getting to do it, God just builds more and more of himself in us that we see it. We see it in each other. We know through the situations that we're put to in a daily 24-7 day and seven days a week, we know, hey, I remember a year ago, I would have blown up at that situation. But I was real calm. I had a peace in my heart. Well, it wasn't us, right? It was God, through his mercy and his grace, giving us a peace, even when everything else around it is, is turmoil. Verse 3, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And one of the things on this topic of holy ground is understand that the holy ground is simply holy because Jesus Christ is present in that situation and in those people who are in those situations. Like Moses didn't clean his feet when he went up on Mount Sinai and he saw the burning bush. It had nothing to do with Moses' feet because the ground was holy. It was because of the presence of God. He was in the presence of God. So you and I are partakers of that divine nature, especially as we submit more and more of ourselves to him and allow God to work in and through us. And the challenge and the thing that I want to exhort you in this series of holy ground is what is there that is still in my life and your life that we're not given over to the Lord? And it might not be something that you're aware of. And our prayer is that God, through the power of his Holy Spirit, will shed light on those areas that, hey, I never thought of that. I never thought that was a particular thing that's maybe holding me back from a deeper and a closer walk with Jesus. Verse 5. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now notice there's uh, things that I, several things that I just read out in those verses. And notice what it says in verse 8. For if these things are yours and abound, they're evident in your life. They're brought about by the, the Holy Spirit working in you and the fruit that's being produced is going to be evident to people that are around you. But notice it's, it's abounding. You're not going to be unfruitful. How many of you tonight, where you are in your walk with the Lord, maybe feel that the Lord is not using you the way you would like? Or you're being used by the Lord, but you really have a desire. You want to be used more. Lord, use me more. Come on, I want to go all the way with you. Like, where are you in that walk with the Lord? Sometimes I know I try to outrun God, and that's a no-brainer. I mean, how can you possibly do that? But in our humanness, we try to go ahead sometimes, do too much, and not listen to what the Lord is saying to us. Verse 9, For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. And I think that's one of the things the Lord put on my heart to exhort myself and you is that let's be more diligent. Let's go after it as if this was it. We've heard many times from the pastors that have been up here that one of the things that the apostles and the disciples, they thought the Lord was coming back soon, right? They thought he was coming back. And how did that make them live with that thought that Jesus could come back tonight, tomorrow? What a great place to be if that awareness is always that Jesus is, could come back today. And we all know that none of us have a guarantee that we're going to be here tomorrow or a week from tomorrow. We've all seen that in our own lives or in our friends' lives or our family, brothers and sisters. There's no guarantee. So how are you going to spend your days? How are you going to spend the time that God is giving you? Is it going to be caught up in the world? Or is it going to be caught up in the things of Jesus to take into the world? Big difference. And I think we all can relate to being in the world. And we know what God did to bring us out of the world, to build us up in him, but then he sends us back in the world to make a difference, to impact other people, because he loves them, just like he loved you and me. And that's an awesome thing. And we need to have that love for the lost. That's very important. And notice in verse 10, that diligent to make your call and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. Talk about a strong walk. If we're diligent in going after those things that God has put before us and draw closer and closer to Jesus, notice, never stumble. Imagine that. 
Verse 11. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Reminders are very good. How many times we are reminded of something we might forget, and then we're glad that the little sticky note, little string on the finger, maybe our spouse or our son or daughter said, hey, don't forget, I want to remind you, and how that brought right to the front again something that you might have put in the back. So when we gather together, when we fellowship, when we study God's word, when we open up and read God's word, God is constantly keeping us sharp. He's constantly reminding us of those things that we need to know. And that's so, so important. That's one of the reasons God says, do not stop meeting together. Don't stop fellowshipping together. There's a supernatural thing that takes place as we get to know each other and open up God's word and, and worship him. Verse 12, for this reason, I will not be negligent. I love that word, not be negligent, to always remind you. Verse 13, yes, I think it is right, as long as I'm in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you. And I know Pastor Joe, I'm getting to know Pastor Mike better and Pastor Paul. And I know one of the desires of their heart is for us to constantly keep each other sharp in God's word, to keep stirring each other up for iron sharpens iron, and to bring that to you as our part of the family of God. But understand something that you too are keeping us sharp. You're the ones that are helping us too. It's not a one-way street. It's awesome. It's all part. We're all part of that body of Christ and we all have a place and an importance. Paul, we okay? Okay, we're going to see if uh, the Lord wants this to happen or not tonight. Okay, this, was the, this is the uh, theme for Holy Ground. 1 Thessalonians 4, 7. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but notice, in holiness. Not to holiness, but in holiness. Now, it's not something you and I can do. We can't will to be holy. People do that, though. We see that throughout our world. You can go back and read books about people who have elevated themselves, put themselves on a pedestal, we read it in the uh, Old Testament, the New Testament, the rabbis, the Pharisees who would stand on street corners and people were uh, in awe of them because they thought they could never attain to the level of that holiness. Because, but that was an outward holiness. Remember what Jesus said? They're like dead men bones inside. They stink inside. They might look like they're whitewashed sepulchers on the outside, but inside their heart. They had no heart for God. They just wanted people to revere them, to hold them up. 
So notice here in holiness, one of the ways that you and I are, first of all, God gives you the holiness. When you receive him as your Lord and Savior, one of the things that you get is the justification. We talked about that a little bit before. Sanctification, being set apart. Holy, that's another word. Holy is being set apart. There's a glorification process that's going on. All as a result of what Jesus Christ did through his death on the cross. He paid a price. And that price is something that we'll feel throughout all eternity. Not only did he pay the price on the cross at Calvary 2,000 years ago when he shed his blood, but we're going to reap the benefits and understand that more and more throughout eternity. That's going to be inexhaustible, understanding what Jesus Christ did for you and for me when he came down on this earth and shed his blood on the cross. Okay, Paul. We showed you our little buddy from last time. And one of the things in this holy ground that we want to go into is some of the equipment, well, the equipment, not some of it, we need all of it on, but all of the equipment, and we'll probably see that the next time, and we'll get into some of the armor of God in Ephesians 6. But here's our little guy, and if you weren't here uh, the last time, is does he stand a chance here? What kind of chance does this little guy have? He's never going to go to Disneyland if he takes a couple more steps into this trap. It's not going to happen. But he's being tempted, as you and I are, every day. Comes out of his house, and there's temptation staring him right in the face. How is he going to handle it? Well, if he was a new believer, we would have to talk to him about really being grounded in God's word and not take any steps forward until he gets a little stronger and more equipped. There's a war going on. When you inherited, when you, I'm sorry, took Jesus Christ into your life, you inherited a spiritual warfare. There's a battle going on every day for the souls of men, women, boys, and girls. It cost a price, a tremendous price. And this picture doesn't even do what Jesus did Justice. Because the Bible says he was marred beyond recognition. That he didn't even look like a man. If we're not sure there's a war going on, we simply need to remember what took place on the cross. That God sent his son down to die. That whoever put their trust in him will not perish but have eternal life. But it cost a price. And you and I can never, ever lose sight of that. And understand that with the cross, there's a war going on. And also, Jesus took time to bleed. Shouldn't we take that time to read his word that he holds above his name? How important is his word? Do we understand the importance of putting our face in the book? Not reading Facebook all the time, but put our face in the book and see what God wants to reveal to us every day, every single day. 
Now, this is pretty heavy. The next few slides. This was a survey given 10,000 ministers, pastors, priests. Of the 10,000 that were interviewed, I believe it was 8,000 or 7,800 responded out of the 10,000. Three questions were looked at. The first question was, do you believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ? The physical resurrection. Do you believe that Jesus was in the tomb and he came out of the tomb? 51% of Methodist ministers now, let's not talk about the congregation, let's just talk about the leaders of that church. 51% said no, they didn't believe in the physical resurrection. United Presbyterians, 35% said no. Episcopalians, 30% no. And American Baptists, 33% said no. Now, God's Word said, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Think about that in relationship to this. So what are these men preaching from the pulpit? Where are they getting their information from if they don't believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ? We can go into the New Testament, and there was somebody who doubted, if you remember, the physical resurrection of Jesus, and his name was Thomas. And Tom didn't believe that Jesus rose. He said unless he took his hands and placed them in the wounds, that he wouldn't believe. Well, the next time they got together in the room, Jesus was there. And Thomas was there. And Jesus said to Thomas, come on, Tom, stick your hands into my wounds. And he goes, no, 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 go ahead, do it. And Thomas did. And he fell on his knees and he says, my Lord and my God. But yet there are people today that they hold this book in their hand, take things out of it, sometimes out of context, present it to the body that is trusting them with what they're saying is true, but yet they don't believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus. You and I should have a problem with that. But more importantly, you have to understand that it's something that's going on in our country today. This is a recent poll. Okay, Paul. The second question was a belief in the virgin birth. Methodists, 60%? No, they didn't believe it. Again, the pastors, the ministers. The United Presbyterians, 49%? No. Episcopalians, 44% no. American Baptists, 34% said no. And American Lutherans, 19% said no. Now, what's the importance of the virgin birth? If Mary conceived Jesus and it was from a human father, then we're still in our sins. We're still to be pitied. But... God planted his seed in Mary 
She was a vehicle. She simply was a human vessel that God chose because she had a heart after the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God chose her to be the physical vessel to bring himself into the world. When you throw out the virgin birth, you throw out God himself coming to this earth as a man. That's pretty heavy. Because if Jesus was simply a man and he went to the cross, it'd be like me going to the cross or you going to the cross. It wouldn't do a thing. But Jesus was truly man and he was truly God. And when he died on the cross, he died as the perfect sinless man for you and for me. But this is pretty astounding, isn't it? That people who are teaching or supposed to be teaching God's word don't even believe in two of the basic truths that the scripture talks about. Okay, Paul. The belief that the Bible is the inspired and the inerrant word of God. This is heavy, this one. I want to know what they're doing in a church. What are they doing? Why are they there? They're wasting time. They're wasting people's time. But understand, there's a supernatural uh, undercurrent here. There's someone and a lot of demonic forces that don't want God's word to go forth. You and I are fortunate that we're in a place where God's word is revered. It's taught systematically, verse by verse, word by word. And I remember I was in a church for 28 years and finally left it and went to a church that taught verse by verse. And in one year, just one year of that type of teaching like you have here, I learned more than the previous 28 years in one year. Just because we were going through the whole word, the whole counsel of God. Now you go to this, look at these percentages. 87, 82, 95, 67, 77 percent of the ministers are saying they do not believe in the inerrancy of God's word and the inspiration of God's word. And people are sitting there taking this into their head. And God said that in the last days, people would be having itching ears, just want to hear what sounds good. Well, I hope tonight you hear some things that sound good, but I also hope tonight you hear some things that stretches you, that challenges you from God's word. Something that you take into account and you go before the Lord and say, Lord, use me, change me. Clean me up more. Make me more holy. Make me more set apart for you. You know, you had the temple in Jerusalem that had all these utensils and all these different garments that had to be worn by the priest. They were holy garments. They were holy utensils. They were to be used just during the sacrificial time. You didn't go in there if you felt like a steak and grab some of the utensils and start eating a steak down in the corner. 
It was set apart for use. You and I as believers in Jesus Christ, as saved brothers and sisters in Jesus, as his sons and daughters, are set apart for use by him. He prepares those things that he wants us to do. We just have to walk close to him and we'll be there doing those things he wants, he wills. It's no sweat. Okay, Paul. Most Americans, roughly four out of five, consider themselves to be Christians. Not true. What is a Christian? We talked about this last time. Oh, you're one of those born-agains. Is there anything else? Is there any other way to go except being a born-again Christian? What does the Bible say? Well, Jesus said, which is good enough for me, hopefully it's good enough for you, he's saying you must be born again. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Think about those numbers that we saw and think about some of the people that sat under those teachings and standing before God and God says, hey, I never knew you. I never knew you. But Lord, I went to church every Sunday. Yeah, but I didn't know you. Lord, I, I, I said your prayers before I went to bed every night. I even went down to Salvation Army a couple times a year and helped out in the food drive. I don't know you. If we don't know God's word, how can you know the God of the word? How do you get into a personal relationship with him if you don't know his word? If you don't spend time? If you don't, it should be one of the things that's going on inside of you, that hunger, that desire for his word. Okay, next slide, please. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. We're going to look at some of those things, especially some of the doctrines of demons. But before we get to that, think of some of the deceiving spirits. I'm thinking over the years. Think of some of the things that the demonic spirits would be saying to you and me. Maybe it's, oh, you know what? You don't need Jesus right now. You can wait a few more years. That's for older people. Well, being a teacher for 36 years, I was just talking to my next door neighbor who's only about 20 years old. There's been two deaths of kids 21 years or younger in the last week. One was an 18-year-old coming home at 4 a.m. in the morning, just traveling about two or three miles, had a few beers, was uh, texting on his cell phone, and ran off the road into a tree. The tree is about as wide as the pulpit. On either side of the tree, nothing except a farm fence and acres and acres of open ground. So by this much, he probably would have been alive. But God says it's a point unto man once to die and after that the judgment. He didn't say it's a point unto man once to die over 30, over 50 over 60, and Pastor Joe has shared many a times over the years, you know, being a policeman, some of the uh, sad situations that he's come across because of uh, driving or other types of accidents. What about the uh, saying, if it feels good, do it? Oh, all roads lead to God. Not true. 
According to Jesus, he was the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father except by him. He didn't say there were many paths to him. Oh, you don't have to go to church. You can just, you can worship God anywhere you want. That is true. You can. Anywhere. Doesn't matter. But as I said a little earlier, don't stop fellowshipping together because in that koinonia, that fellowship together with each other, there's something God is doing in our lives. He's building us up in his body. You're living stones that he's putting together in the body that he's chosen you to be in or the church he's chosen you to be in, in the universal body of Christ. Okay, Paul. Showed you this last time, one of the New Age symbols. And as you can see, there's a lot of different um, symbols there representing various religions. Okay, Paul. Some of the doctrines of demons. Some of the characteristics. Doctrines of demons won't line up with God's word, but that's important that you and I know God's word because in the latter days, in the end times, there's going to be deceiving spirits throwing out doctrines. If you don't know God's word, how do you know if it's the truth or not? So it's important that you have a grasp of God's word. does not follow his plan for eternal life. There's only one plan, and that's Jesus Christ. His death, his resurrection, our repenting of our sins and following him. There's no other plan. But yet, there's religions, thousands of them, that tend to differ with what Jesus said. Doctrines of demons will condemn people to hell. Again, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man will come to the Father except through me. If there was any other way, would the Father have sent the Son? Would he have needed to send his Son to die on the cross if there was any other way? If there were other ways, wouldn't that be a very sadistic Father to send his Son to die if there were other ways to escape damnation? No, there's only one way, and there was only one price that had to be paid. And it was paid by God himself by dying on the cross. Okay, Paul. Some more characteristics. It's based on just works. Work your way to heaven. If your good works outweigh your bad works, you're in. Statue worship. Praying to men and women who are simply like you and me. The Bible says we are a kingdom of priests and saints. I'm looking at saints right now. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ. You're saints here. You don't have to die to be a saint. You can be saints while you're right here on this earth. And what does a saint do? I love that little story. The little kid in the uh, stained glass windows in Sunday school. The question was asked by the teacher. What does a saint do? little kid raises his hand and he goes, oh, I know. They let the light shine through them. Isn't that awesome? Little kid saw that by just the stained glass. He saw a saint up on the window and the light from the sun was just coming through. And that's all we should be doing. Allowing the light of Jesus to shine through us. 
There's churches who worship Mary, who was the vehicle that God chose. They worship her. Some churches even call her a co-redeemer, that you can go through Jesus or you can go through Mary for salvation. That's a doctrine of the demon. You can't go through Mary. She needed a savior just like you and me. That your sins can be forgiven by people. People can't forgive your sins. Only Jesus can forgive your sins. He paid a tremendous price as we saw on that one slide. Other characteristics of doctrines of demons are occult practices, reincarnation, no heaven, no hell. Church on the West Coast says there's no hell. He wrote a book. It's a popular book. There's no hell. Who is man to say something that Jesus came here and taught more about hell than he did about anything else? Okay, Paul. Okay, leave that for a second. Can you go back? Today, I was going through just cleaning up the uh, PowerPoint, and I saw the characteristics down to hell, and it looked like a, you see it? It looks like it's pointing down. I said, oh, let me put a little V at the bottom of that just so it looks like the tip of an arrow. But all those things just lead you down. It just doesn't lead you up. Okay, next slide. That was a little commercial. Some more characteristics. Mystical beliefs about the spirit, they get into mysticism. You know, weird talk, new age talk. The teaching that man is basically good. God says that our heart is wicked and evil. You know, who can know it? Well, God knows it and he's telling us about it and that's up to us to say, okay, Lord, you're right. I know what's in there is wicked. You need to operate and change it. Change me from the inside out. I need a, a pure heart, a clean heart. Because I know when you're not in my life, Lord, what that heart feels and thinks and wants to do. Works and legalism doctrines. You know, another thing that's taught throughout the world in churches. It's a works mentality. It's a legalism. You have to act a certain way. You have to dress a certain way. You have to do certain things. Taking the scripture out of context and interpreting it different from anything else that's shown in the scriptures. Like you can't find that interpretation anywhere in the scriptures. When you see something in the scripture, you need to read it in the context of the chapter before, the chapter after. You have to see, hey, is this talked about in the Old Testament? Is it taught, talked about by Jesus? Do we see it in the Acts of the Apostles? Do we see it in the Epistles? Or are we just seeing it in one place? That's important to see the context that it's in. The teaching that Christ didn't die for sins. And another teaching by a cult is only 144,000 will go to heaven. Well, if that's true, I hope some of you are that 144,000. Good luck. That's amazing. Where does that put your spirit? Where does that put your mind? if you were constantly drilled with that kind of thing. And then tied to that 144,000 is a works mentality. It's tied together. Okay, Paul. 
last slide with some of the characteristics. Evolving revelations and spiritual truth. Oh, this is a new revelation. I have a new revelation. You won't find it in the scriptures, but God told me. People are saying this today. They have new revelations. Or there's another book that goes along with the Bible. There's another book that we can get some of God's words from. No, sorry. This is it. Everything God needs us, wants us to know is right in here. And as he gets closer and closer to coming, and this is the cool part, and you keep your face in the book, God will reveal truths in the scriptures that you never saw before or we've never seen before. That's exciting. That as we stay faithful to his word, God's going to show us more and more. It's going to open up scripture to us. Denying biblical truth, anything plus Jesus. In other words, it takes Jesus plus this to be saved or Jesus plus that. Nope, it's just Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He didn't say, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and you need a Burger King and a Coke. <laughs> he didn't add anything to it to try to spice it up. He's everything. It's just Jesus, nothing else. Of course, we know the prosperity teaching. 40, 50,000 people fill stadiums just to hear this, how they can be richer, healthier, wealthier. It's garbage. It's garbage. And I love God's sense of humor because in heaven, guess what the streets are going to be made of? We're going to be walking on streets of gold, but it's going to be under our feet. But yet here, what is gold? You know? Buy gold, it's the only thing of any value. I don't know. Holy laughter, one of the movements, you know. Years ago, a lot of us remember the holy laughter, the Holy Spirit bartender. That's what they were saying. People were barking like dogs, rolling in the aisles. I don't see slain in the Spirit anywhere in the Scriptures except when a couple of people were taken out and killed. I've never seen Jesus, the apostles, any of the disciples you know, rolling in the aisles or on the ground in Jerusalem. You never see any of that stuff. You know, if it's not done in the scriptures, God has a reason for that. Okay, Paul. Okay. This, uh, I saw this summer at a camp we went to, and this is uh, unfortunately a real picture taken back in 1993 by, and the fellow who took the picture won an award. He won the Pulitzer Prize. And this is a little girl from the Sudan who was a little less than a mile from a uh, feeding station that she was crawling to. And behind her, of course, you see this uh, vulture watching her. Now, the fellow who won the Pulitzer Prize, this picture was taken in 93. He won the Pulitzer Prize in 94. And he was criticized because he was asked, didn't you do anything when you saw this? Now, I, I know a lot of you in here, and, and I know if we were photographers, probably one of the things we would do is either throw the camera at them, at the vulture, pick up some rocks or something, or just go and intercede and pick up this little girl. But 
apparently the Sudanese officials who was allowing this person to take the picture said, we don't advise you do that because you might catch a disease. Well, again, I'll include you in this. Give me the disease. We're going to save that little girl's life right there. Now, I've heard various stories that they don't know. The photographer didn't know what happened to the girl because he left after he took the picture. Another thing was that the girl made it to the station okay, but we don't know. But here's the thing. The man who took the picture after he won the Pulitzer Prize three months later committed suicide because he was depressed from what was going on, not only in this picture, but all the uh, starvation and malnutrition and the things that were happening in the Sudan. But the reason I chose this picture is because the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And I want to encourage you to never stop meeting together. Never stop going to church and singing his praises. Never stop opening up his word and listening to the teaching of God's word. Because I know times in my life, even being a Christian, that I was the Lone Ranger Christian. And Satan was trying to pick me off. You see, that vulture would not be there if all of us were with that child. Supporting it. Lifting it up, feeding it. You and I are that little child in the sense spiritually that we need to be fed, we need to be supported, we need to grow in the grace and knowledge and strength of Jesus Christ. Because there is an adversary that's going around trying to pick off Christians, but also as we know, non-Christians, and trying to physically kill them, take them out of here before Jesus comes into their heart. Next slide, Paul. 1 Peter 5.8 was the previous verse about Satan going around like a roaring lion. This is the next verse. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. The things you and I experience, the things you and I are going through, it's not unique to you as an individual or to me, whether it be financial, whether it be a health issue. doesn't matter what it is. Everybody's going through it. It's a world condition. But the thing that you and I have going for is, number one, Jesus in us, and number two, hopefully, brothers and sisters that will come alongside you and support you. And that's what a healthy church does. Those churches where they don't even have a respect for God's word, you can almost bet two things are going on. There's a lot of financial stuff happening and a lot of immorality going on. You can almost guarantee those are the two things that are going on in those so-called churches where God's word and his name are not held in reference, in reverence. Okay, Paul. 2 Corinthians 7, Therefore, having these promises... Beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. One of the things that just in reading, just picture holiness being a seed that came when, Jesus, when you, you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Picture that holiness that God gave you was like a seed. And as you grow, 
in maturity, that seed of that holiness just grows more and more. Now, God has set you apart. You don't have to work at being holy. But there is something we're going to see that he's calling us to do in this holiness that's right here. But notice it says, cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit. Again, cleanse yourself from all filthiness. It's not saying, hey, Lord, cleanse me from my filthiness. If you are a believer in Jesus, he's cleansed you from all your past sins, present sins, and future sins. But there still might be things in your closet that are sinful that, you're still in hold of, that you are still holding on to. So sometimes the fleshly filthiness is easier to clean than the spiritual filthiness. Example, in the scriptures, the tax collector or the prostitute. They came to the Lord. They gave up the tax collecting. Matthew went and followed Jesus. One of the ladies named Mary gave up her walk that she was. She was following Jesus. Physically, they were not involved in that anymore. But how about the sins or the filthiness of the spirit? How about the prodigal son's brother? The anger, the jealousy that he had when he saw the prodigal son come home and the father throw a big party for him. And he was just jealous because he never got a party like that. And the father simply told him, well, you're here all the time. Everything I have is yours. But here, my son was lost and now he's found. What about those internal things that we deal with that are sometimes harder to clean up than the outside things? Okay, Paul. How can those, and this is a quote from this uh, fellow named Clark, how can those expect God to purify their hearts who are continually indulging their eyes, their ears, their hands in what is forbidden and in what tends to increase and bring into action all the evil propensities of the soul. And the reason I chose this one, chose this one is because I can definitely share with you the middle of that part where it says indulging their eyes, ears, and hands. I know for many years as a Christian that I was not diligent and keeping certain things from going into my eyes, my ears, and my hands. And that kept me from a closer walk with the Lord for almost 20 years. And my encouragement and exhortation to you, especially right now the young people, is don't wait 20 years before you have that tight, close walk with the Lord. Check your spirits now because you're being bombarded. We all are. But especially the youth of today, and I put anybody uh, under a certain, I won't even say that age, but anyway, whatever that age is, teens, just out of your teens to the mid-20s, you are being bombarded by so many things today. The sexuality, the alcoholism, the drugs. You need to really take a check what's going into your body, into your eyes, your ears, and hands. But then I'm not letting the older people off the hook either because we're human 
And we still have temptations and things that draw us, and whether it be TV, movies, magazines, books, whatever, we need to see, are we allowing our eyes, ears, and hands to partake and hold things and see things and take things into our heart and our mind that is, that is making us further and further away from Jesus and our relationship with Him? We can't do that. We've been set apart. It costs a price to be set as a part, amen? It costs a price. Now, are we willing to go the whole distance with Jesus? Are we willing to go all the way like he did? Okay, Paul. These are some of those filthy inside stuff that's harder to clean up a lot of times than the outward physical filthiness. Pride, legalism, self-focus, self-righteousness, hatred, bitterness. Maybe these are the things that we need to really get right with the Lord and just so there's no obstacle there. We have a tight, firm relationship with Jesus. Next slide. Today, the pornography industry is larger than the revenues of Microsoft, Google, Amazon, eBay, Yahoo, Apple, Netflix and Earthlink, ABC, CBS, NBC combined. Combined. Our world is bombarded with the dehumanization of men, women, boys, and girls. Billions and billions of dollars at the expense of lives. How much more, how much longer and patient is God going to be before he says enough? Okay, Paul. Since 1973, more than 53 million abortions, more than 53 million children murdered, and there's no end in sight. Okay, next slide. Is that you and me? Are we content where we are tonight? I'm not. I'll tell you right now, I'm not. I want to go more with the Lord. I hope that's your desire and prayer. And if it isn't, just ask Him. He'll give it to you. But there's so much in such a short amount of time that you and I have on this earth to do, let's do it. What are we waiting for? What are you afraid of? It's the Holy Spirit in you that's going to bring you to people and places that other people can't even reach. Imagine that. No one else can reach them but you. Are you willing to take that step with our Jesus? That's awesome that he's calling us to do that. That blows my mind. Okay, Paul. I like this uh, contemporary English version because it hit me right in the face. People's desires make them give in to immoral ways, filthy thoughts, and shameful deeds. They worship idols, they practice witchcraft, they hate others, and are hard to get along with. People become jealous, angry, and selfish. They not only argue and cause trouble, but they are envious. They get drunk, carry on at wild parties, and do other evil things as well. I told you before, and I'm telling you again, no one who does these things will share in the blessings of God's kingdom. The reason I chose this one is because those are the people God wants you and I to go after, to pray for, to invite to church, to invite to a, an outing. Are we doing that? And if you don't know people, ask God to bring people into your path. What an awesome opportunity we have to do the very thing that God came here to die for and to reach out to the world for. Okay, Paul. 
We talked about this last time, the horoscopes, the Ouija boards, the books, games, all these things up here, how our, especially our young people are dabbling into. And again, a lot of you here might have dabbled into these things because they've been around a long, long time. And I know kids that are teenagers today, they're seeing it in the movies. Besides, you know, magazines and stuff, the movies, I think it was one out of every three or one out of every four movies has some sort of a cult overtone or some sort of thing that's just pointing people to witchcraft or other types of mysticism. Okay, Paul. Holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Do you have a desire to see the Lord more clearly? Hopefully, yes. But notice holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. We need to be set apart. We need to take that step and say, hey, Lord, I'm leaving those things that I was putting into my ears and eyes, and I want to get closer to you. Instead of the time I'm spending here, I'm going to spend time in your word. I want you speaking to me, Lord, one-on-one. -on -one. Reveal yourself to me in a real way. I don't want to just be caught up when I get with a group of people and have an emotional charge or something. I want that individual. I want to know you personally. I want to recognize you in everything I do, say, think, feel. Every person I see, I want to see either a, a brother or sister in the Lord or a potential brother or sister in the Lord. Fill me with your heart, Lord. Fill me with your eyes. Fill me with your desire to go the distance with that person who's a pain in the neck to me. The person who's driving me crazy, whether it's in my family or at work. Lord, give me that love that only you can give me to reach out to him or her. Okay, Paul. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. These are Jesus' words. You want to be set apart? You want to be set apart? You want to be more holy and used for him? Jesus says, sanctify. Jesus said, set them apart, Father. Jesus said, make them holy, Lord. And how? By your truth. And then we say, well, what does that mean? Well, it simply means this. Get into his word. His word is truth. Make his word your word. Understand his word better than you understand anything else in this whole world. And that will, God's promise of sanctification and setting you more and more apart will take place. Okay, Paul, I think it's one more. Yes. Next time we come together, we'll look to, remember that little mouse who will not go to Disneyland if he takes another step? Remember that little guy? We're going to look at how he needs to be equipped to go into the world. So we'll talk about God's armor next time. And if you need to do a little reading on your own, go into Ephesians and read Ephesians, especially Ephesians 6. And look at the armor of God and see if you go to bed with it on. You need to go to sleep with his armor on. Believe me. I went to sleep 20 years as a Christian without his armor on. And boy, was I attacked. But we'll get into that next time. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, faithful men who carried out
and wrote down your word thousands of years ago 